I told Steve Harvey, Steve, come speak at this deal for a couple hours. I said, you're going to fly from Atlanta because I know you're at the Super Bowl. You're going to come down to Miami. I'm going to pay for the jet. I'm going to send you back for the game. He's like, what? Are you crazy, dude? You cannot do this on Super Bowl weekend. That's Grant Cardone, best-selling author, renowned speaker, CEO of seven privately held companies and real estate mogul. The reason we did that and the reason it was so important for me to pull that off is because everyone I knew that weekend, you you could hate my guts, like despise me, and you had to take your hat off to me. I'm Michael Mogul, founder and CEO of Crisp Video, the nation's number one law firm growth company. I've built my business through practice, not theory. Crisp started with just $500 to my name and has grown to over eight figures in revenue over the last few years, earning a spot on the Inc. 500 list of the fastest growing private companies in America. Our approach has been to take everything we've learned about generating massive growth within our own organization and help the country's most ambitious and committed law firm owners do the same for theirs. In each episode of this podcast, I sit down with innovative market leaders from the legal industry and beyond to learn from those who thrive in the face of adversity, challenge the status quo, and define what it means to be a true game changer. I sat down with Grant Cardone to talk about the 10X mindset, what it means to go big, and his conversation with UFC president, Dana White. And I said, you know what's worth, Dana, than, than, than growing up in poverty? He's like, nothing. I'm like, no, growing up in the middle class and blowing it. That's coming up on the Game Changing Attorney Podcast. Grant Cardone has a larger-than-life personality that's helped propel him to international fame as a speaker, author, sales trainer, and entrepreneurial thought leader. I asked Grant to share his thoughts on what this unprecedented year means for business leaders. What's going on is that this is, this is what happens every year. This is not a different year. This is in people's lives. You have distractions and you have opportunities to go do other stuff and look at other stuff. And indecisiveness is the weakness as you wear so well. And it's like, look, you guys want to be, you want to be hoodwinked by the COVID. You want to be hijacked by the election you want to be uh, thrown off because of somebody's uh, comments about you? The universe will send you endless numbers of distractions. And, and to people that are fully, completely committed, they're like, yeah, I saw that happen. Yeah, I, I heard there was a car wreck over there. A guy sent me something this morning from Fox News about this guy that was arrested. I'm like, why are you passing this on to me? And I said, do not never pass on bad information to me. I don't need it. I don't want it. I'm not interested in it. By the way, you're better than that. And all the people you know, the people you know don't need that message. And at the same time, by the way, he sent it to a, a friend of mine, another friend of mine. My wife got it. But nobody said, stop it. Again, you see that, like, like stop the distraction, stop the noise. And, and if you don't say no to it, it will continue. It will feed you to be distracted and give you excuses to not achieve the things that you, you're capable of. Are you 62 now? Yeah, I'm 62. This always blows my mind, by the way, because I, every time I look at him, like, this guy's got to be 40, and then you learn he's 62. And I get the impression. I mean, it, it seems like you're fitter than you've ever been. It seems like you're just now hitting your stride. Like the last 30 plus years have been preparation for everything that's to come. Is that, is that a fair assumption? 100% fully. Like I remember telling myself when I was 35, I said, you know, I'm not going to really, I was speaking, I was a public speaker. I was doing, I don't know, a couple hundred gigs a year. But I knew when I was 35 and 40 that I would not really have anything to say until I was 50. 
I don't know if that was true or not, because obviously Jesus had a lot to say when he was a young man. And, you know, uh, I mean, there's all kinds of there's all kinds of examples of people that were freaking in their genius, like in the prime of much younger than I was. I'm just very immature. It took me a little while longer. But but really, I am now starting to really hit the full stride of 25 years of mistakes and, and lots of discovery and curiosity and and recalibrating, um, you know, what, what's my real purpose? What's my real intentions? How do I communicate that? building muscle. It just takes a second. It, at least for me, it's taken more than a second or two. It's, ta- it's taken a third of my life to figure out what I'm doing. I think you've said in the past that like the single biggest financial mistake you've ever made was not thinking big enough. And I remember when you and I met a few months back, you were telling me that I should you know, 10x my goals and think in terms of billions and not millions. But I'm just curious in terms of like, how did that mindset evolve over time? Because the other thing didn't work. In 2008, I was, I was made aware that, that, um, all the hard work I had done, the saving that I had done. Like people see me as a loud, noisy, kind of colorful, boisterous guy. But when, when it comes to money, I'm not that at all. I'm almost the complete opposite. You know, in, in 2008, I became aware that, that I had really, that just working hard, just showing up every day, just saving money, those are great things, but if you don't start taking chances, if you don't start thinking, I think the words exponentially, if you don't start thinking about multiplying things, then then you're going to find yourself in later years of your life just working hard and being scared. And in 2008, the the damage, the financial damage in 2008 worldwide was so horrific and so broad that it, it didn't matter who you were, you, it hit you, unless you were the super wealthy, by the way. Same thing with COVID. COVID's a, another moment of redistribution of wealth, right? And, and I learned in 2008 to be able to multiply when the next one happened. I wasn't in the position mentally, emotionally. I was not in that position in 2008. This time I was like, okay, I'm going to lean into this deal now. But, you know, that takes, it's not just money, man. It's, it's you have to have courage, it's not money. A lot of people think, oh, you, man, if I had your money, I could do that, blah, blah, blah. Yeah, but you, money doesn't make money. Courage makes money. Courage is the multiplier. You know, I mean, I, I, look, I could talk about this for like two hours. Like, what does it really take to, to get to the upper stratosphere? If people are interested in that, I think most people are interested, but have kind of given up on that concept. But 10X is basically a multiplier. It basically suggests, look, if you have 80 clients the 10X rule is an arbitrary kind of concept. It's a, it, 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 there's no validation or proof of this, but it, it would suggest that 80 clients, if you multiplied times 10, you might be close to what you actually need. Uh, if you think one COVID event is an issue, hey, multiply times 10 events like COVID or that it lasts 10 times longer than you think. That's the kind of preparation people should be doing. On the expansion part is, hey, I need 10 times the client, 10 times the resources, 10 times the advertising. On the downside, it could last 10 times longer. It could be 10 times worse. Dude, COVID might not even be the real issue. Like in my lifetime, most of the time, I'm not even dealing with what everybody thinks is the real issue. And so it, 10X is really just a massive amount of think. It requires you to give up a whole bunch of stuff, uh, which a lot of people don't want to do. Like, dude, I want 10 new friends. I don't want 10 more hours with my old friends. If they're in a position, if the old friends are able to come along with the new friends, well, good. That's good. That means they're new, too. 
I don't want an old friend. An old friend means it's an old friend that hadn't changed into a new friend. And that goes for me first, right? I need to be a new grant. Um, and that is my ultimate advantage over people, maybe some of my peers. I am never satisfied with, I think Kanye said a middle finger to the past, or maybe it was Jay-Z. As soon as I heard that, I was like, yes, don't be satisfied with yesterday's victory and don't get hung up in yesterday's losses. And you clearly come a long way. I think for many people listening that don't know your background, you know, grew up in Lake Charles, right? I think you were one, one of five children. You certainly didn't come from wealth. 100%. Like that definitely. We, we, I mean, we weren't poor. We weren't poverty, right? I'm not complaining about my, the way I was brought up because there's a billion people that came up, three billion people that came up way worse than I did. There is, however, uh, who was I talking to that was born in poverty? And I'm like, I said, you know what's worse than poverty? Because he was telling me about it. He's a, he's a celebrity guy. I forget who it was. Uh, uh, no, I know who it was. It was Dana White. Dana White. And I said, you know what's worse, Dana, than, than, than growing up in poverty? He's like, nothing. I'm like, no, growing up in the middle class and blowing it. Because, look, if you're poor, you don't really know you're poor. And if you're in the middle, you don't know you're in the middle. If you're rich, you definitely know something different. Okay? You know, you, the kids know, hey, there's something different about how I live compared to other people. And look, if you're aware, you're probably uncomfortable with most people because you know you're different. You're like, I am aware and they aren't. I know something else is happening here and they don't know it. And it makes you feel a little weird. So when, when I grew up, we had food. I had love. I had hugs. I had safety. I had direction. I had schools. I had a bike. Uh, my mom drove me to I could either get on the bus or she'd drive me. Nobody was whipping me or beating me or, you know, there was not bad stuff happening. I blew all that. So I had less money when I was 25 than when I was 15. How's that possible? So ended up with a drug problem, bad drug problem between 15 and 25 that I'm not proud of and that I, that I finally beat. Uh, that could have killed me, by the way. It could have just as easily beat me. And uh, from the age of 25 to today, I'm still I'm just grinding out, trying to figure out every day doing something new, man. Like I don't have it figured out. I know I don't have it figured out, but I'm in a pretty good place to like, okay, I know some things that that are working. And you know, back to the 10x rule, I double down on that stuff now. And I go hard, really hard on a handful of things rather than try to be great at a hundred things. So I'm curious. I mean, I think now today you're a catalyst to a lot of people, you know, in terms of them thinking bigger, in terms of them transforming their lives. What, what was that catalyst event for you? You know, I've been asked this a lot. I think I think it's like a lot. There's a lot. There's not a moment. There wasn't there wasn't a thing for a fire to burn. Everybody's like, who started the fire? Dude, somebody who kept it going? You know, I think the better question is, how do you keep the fire burning? Because everybody's got the spark. Everybody's got the spark. It's like, how'd you put it out? How'd you put it out? Who put it out? How do you find it again? And then once you get it again, dude, how do you add wood to it? I talked about this in a book that I wrote called If You're Not First, You're Last. Build a fire so hot, so big, so enormous that people from all over the world, regardless of who you are, your religion, your race, your age, your sex, they're like, I got to go sit by that damn fire. And like you can see it from miles away. The fact that you say I'm a catalyst to other people, that, that's so, that is such a store of wealth for me. It's like you just filled up this big silo of what should be wheat in it uh, with purpose because that, that is the ultimate wealth. The ultimate wealth is 
I helped other people. You know, another another huge silo of wealth is my personal confidence that I can do the idea that I can do almost anything. And not saying I can do anything, I can't do anything, but 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 if I don't quit, dude, I could probably figure it out, you know, and, and I have confidence in myself not to quit today. So and I think the catalyst that I become for other people today is not the jet and it's not the the money. The ultimate, I mean, I think some of that turns a lot of people on and off. I think the real one, the one that really like that inspires my peers is, dude, your energy, bro, is like, you just always relight. When I thought you were bright, you get it brighter. When I thought you were big, you make it bigger. And, and I don't do that for people. I'm not trying to please other people. I'm trying to please me. And if there's been a catalyst, if there's been a pivot point, a hinge, you know, it's that one right there. Hey, Grant, don't worry about pleasing other people. You just please Grant. I was on the phone with some lawyers yesterday and they said, hey, on this thing, you need to have no comment. I'm like, hey, that's stupid. dude. No comment is a comment. Like the ability to have common sense and to be yourself despite injury. Grant, if you comment on this, it's going to be used against you later. I'm like, bro, no comment is a comment. And they're like, huh? No, no comment can't get you in trouble. Uh, no comment is a comment to the public. And I am more interested in the public's, the public's understanding and my, how I feel about me at night than I am about uh, what a couple of rat bastard lawyers think or say in a courthouse when all they're in it for is the fee anyway. They're not in it for right or wrong. They're in it for just get their little fee and get out. And I'm in it for, I need to feel good about me. Not, you don't need to feel good about me. And, and that is a, um, if people can develop that ability, you know, to look in the mirror and be so disgusted in yourself that you're not trying, I'm not buying watches, like what watch are you going to like to see me in? I'm like, dude, what watch do I want to see me in? You know, what plane do I want to get on? It doesn't matter to me if other people like it. And what book do I need to write for me? Yeah. So, so anyway, a uh, long answer on that, that's some of the stuff that just keeps me really excited. Ba- ba- battles, battles are huge catalysts for me, by the way. People, people that count me out or dog on me online, they're like, it jacks me up so hard. I mean, I cannot tell you how much fuel I get from the haters and the naysayers. You know, I was just going to mention, I, I don't know that I've ever seen anybody who is leans more into haters and naysayers, you know, maybe up there with like Donald Trump, but just Trump, Trump is very similar to the way and hats off to him for fighting back. Um, you, and you can hate Donald if you want to, but I mean, the reality is the guy's been a fighter his whole life. You know, I was bullied when I was a kid, dude, I refuse to be bullied today. I had a billionaire. He put $20 million in a, in a real estate investment with me. At once he gave me the money. He was so delightful before. Then he gave me the money. He started acting like a dick. And I gave him his money back. Wrote him a check for $20 million. Here's your money back. He's like, what are you doing, man? What are you doing? I'm like, dude, I don't want your money. I don't want this. I don't want, I'm not going to have anybody push me around. I'm not dependent. I am dependent. We're interdependent. I'd love to do something with you, but I found out I can't because I'm not built I'm not built to take your bullshit. And more importantly, I don't, I'm in a position now where I don't have to take your, your money comes with a compromise I'm not willing to accept. And, and everybody needs to hear this. I am willing to compromise. Like I'm willing to eat 
EMD, baby. I'm willing to eat. I'm willing to eat. I'll do. I'll do. Everybody's got to get on a knee every once in a while from time to time. You got to do what you got to do to get something done. I just don't want to do it every day. And I want to be able to pick where I eat. I think that approach is actually what's what's inspiring to a lot of people. I mean, so it, you know, when you talk about like the 10x movement and you see this evolve, it's, it's almost like a, you're almost seeing like a magic trick. Like when David Blaine does anything, people are tuning in. And I remember a few years ago when you guys were packing out this Marlins Park and there was like 35,000 people on Super Bowl weekend. And I wonder, it, it's, it's like some people were watching that they were just so impressed that you were able to do that. And I imagine like there was, it was a wrong decision for so many reasons and also right, I'm sure. But you have this amazing way of almost like willing things into existence. Thank you. Thank you, man. Like, like that, that deal, who does that? That's when you shut up everybody. Okay. There's some things you do. Some things, look, I am very financially motivated. I've never denied it. I say it probably one time a day, extremely financially motivated. I love the idea of measuring things based on financial windfalls. When we did the Miami Marlins Stadium, it had nothing to do with money. It was 34,000 people. They're like, dude, that's a lot of damn people. How are you going to do that? Nobody thought about it. Damn, he's going to make a bunch of money. People actually did not think about how much money I was going to make at the deal. They're thinking, the fuck, how's he going to do that? How the hell you put 34,000? Marlins Stadium has never, ever had 34,000 people in it. Maybe not in an entire foot, uh, baseball season. So Derek Jeter, when I told the owner I was going to do this, he, he, he was like, the story goes like this. I said, I walked in, I see the place. I said, Derek, how many people, what's the most people have ever been here? 26,000. Who did that? Joel Osteen. I said, fuck it then. How many people, every seat in the house? 26,000. I said, good. How many on the field? He's like another six or 7,000. He's like, we've never, we never loaded up the field. I said, bro, that field is bigger than, what is it? 11 players, 10 players, whatever, nine players, whatever. I'm like, I want the whole place. I'm going to put 34,000 people in this place. We put 35,000 people in there. He's like, what weekend you want it? I said, just give me a price. I know it's available the weekend I want it. And he's like, but what weekend? I said, just give me a price. I said, I guarantee you it's available the weekend I want it. And then I told him Super Bowl weekend. He's like, what are you crazy? I told Steve Harvey, Steve, come speak at this deal for a couple hours. When is it, Grant? I said, you available? I said, you're going to fly from Atlanta because I know you're at the Super Bowl. You're going to come down to Miami. I'm going to pay for the jet. I'm going to send you back for the game. He's like, what? Are you crazy, dude? You cannot do this on Super Bowl weekend. And so the reason we did that and the reason it was so important for me to pull that off is because everyone I knew that weekend, you, you could hate my guts, like despise me. And you had to take your hat off to me. You know, the haters came out and said, the sound was bad. Okay. All right. But every seat was packed. So, you know, some things you do because it might not have a financial return. But trust me, it made it easier to sell out every event we did after that. And look, that, that also was one of those things that builds confidence. There's a savings account I have. It's, I don't keep it at Wells Fargo. I keep it at Cardone Argo. I keep it over at the Cardone Capital account, okay? And that, that, that is self-confidence is the biggest account I have. Like, what can I do today to make another deposit in my self-confidence account? 
And to me, that account is more real than the money over at Wells Fargo. Because if I have enough self-confidence, dude, money will not be the issue. And even now, I mean, I remember asking you this a few months back in the sense that with over a billion of assets under management, you've got you know seven companies. Clearly, it's not primarily about money anymore. I mean, you don't really have to do any of the things that you're doing. And yet so much time and energy you spend is like helping other people, inspiring other people where it's, it's interesting. You mentioned on, in one breath that you're financially driven. But on the other hand, so much of what you do is really not for financial gain. I mean, I would love to give everybody a political answer here and just say, oh, yeah, I'm just so like, I just want to be the nicest guy in the world and help everybody. Yeah, I do, man. But I, I also know that when you meet enough people, there's going to be finances that come with it. You know, I probably don't even need to say that anymore because people are like, OK, I get it. I probably should. You know, if I was to if I wanted to be like more, I would just quit talking about money as much. As I'm sitting here thinking about it, I'm like, you know, the appropriate thing to say right now is I want to help people. And I do. By the way, if you gave me if you gave me 10 billion tomorrow, there was nothing I would quit doing that I'm doing right now. I could help more people, though. I could help more people. And I would tell everybody I just scored 10 billion. And I, I would tell everybody I would tell everybody how I, did, I figured out how not to pay taxes on it, too. And I would do everything I could to teach people how I actually did it so they could actually go do it. That's all I wanted as a kid, man. That was the number one thing I wanted as a kid. It's why I went to high school. It's why I chose some of my courses. I chose men over women because I needed a mentor. I wanted a male mentor in my life. I went to college. I picked the classes where I thought there were strong men there. No, nothing against women, but I lost my dad when I was 10. So I was looking for, I was looking for a guide, a mentor, a teacher. And I thought it was, I, I just had it mocked up in my head that it was a man. I'm not saying it was, but or that it was restricted to that, right? And money was one of the things I could measure. I mean, I just, I went to treatment center when I was 25 years old. I came out of the treatment center. The only thing I could measure after that was, can I make some money? There, there was nothing else for me to manage. Like I didn't have anything else to do every day. So you're 25 years old, I'm single. My girlfriend was a drug addict, so I couldn't get with her. All my friends were drug addicts or drug dealers. I didn't want to be with them. Uh, I had a job I hated. What else am I going to do every day? I wasn't working out. I was 25. I, I, you know, I was in decent shape. Okay, I'm going to go sell cars. I'm going to make some money. I'm going to go sell cars, make some money. I'm going to go sell something, make some money. I'm going to learn a little something. And then I'm going to help other people. That's the only thing I did every day. Every day I woke up in the morning. I'm like, I'm going to go sell a car today or two cars or three. I'm going to go to meetings to keep myself from going back on drugs. And then I'm going to hopefully make some money and figure out how to manage money. And that just became my, my grind out, right? But in the meantime, what I did on my off time was help people. And the more I help people learn how to stay sober, stay clean, or to help the other salespeople get better at selling cars, the more I did of that, I got better. And I got more confidence. And so I've stayed with that, what, 37 years now, it just... We had 200,000 people in a live stream yesterday. I'm doing this for 10 days for free. I found 10 days in my calendar. When I get done with this, I'm going to go out of the country for two weeks, and I'm going to spend 10 days, probably 13 days actually in total, every day going online for an hour or two hours with a bunch of my friends helping people. There's no money in it, but there's big victories in it, and I'll meet some awesome people because of it. But, but, but all that being said, like, like, dude, I like I'm doing, I'm buying a deal. I'm buying a piece of real estate right now for $165 million. 
That's over one eighth of a billion dollars. It's a big number. It's a massive number. It's a Goldman Sachs, JP Morgan purchase. It's big. It's bank big. That thing takes money and it needs to make money. It needs to cash flow. It needs to have all the right ingredients. I'm buying that for money. I'm buying that. I'm going to give that away to my investors and my kids. 20 years from now, we'll probably still own that investment. So that is pure money play. Speaking of money, Grant has said that the lesson he learned from the 2008 financial crisis was that if a bank was big enough, they wouldn't let it fail. In fact, he took that lesson and applied it to his own business. Yeah, I owed $50, $50 million to a bank in San Diego in um, 2008. And the bank, the bank went upside down. They weren't big enough. The federal government actually paid another group $500 million to take over this bank and then guaranteed the loans that that new bank took over out of Minneapolis, took over the San Diego bank. Taxpayer money funded a bank to buy another bank and then guaranteed the loans. And then the bank comes to me and says, we need you to pay your loan off. I'm like, dude, I ain't even missed a payment. I know, but you're, you're basically in default because your net worth changed. Uh, uh, everybody's net worth changed. Okay. Like it's 2008, bro. Like if you were worth a dollar, you were worth, 50 cents now. And, um, dude, they started pushing me around. They started pushing me around, making demands, freaked me out. I mean, I lost my mind. I never, ever, I did, had no clue how to handle this. Who? They don't teach you this in school. They're threatening me with lawsuits. Man, I'm starting to spend 30 and 40 grand a month on legal bills. I'm like, oh my God, I don't know what I'm talking about. I got you know, my, my attorneys, feel it feels like they're against me as much as the other side is. It's just stupid. And I told my wife, I said, this will never happen to us again. And a guy said to me, he's like, yeah, dude, never borrow money, man. See, if you didn't owe any money. I said, no, bro. No, you got it wrong. I need to owe more money. I said, the next, next time this shit happens, I'm going to owe them a billion dollars. They're going to call me and say, when can we come visit? True story. When COVID happened, okay, Fannie Mae, Freddie Mac, Teachers Credit Union, and a couple of other banks called me up that week. When can we come down to Miami and visit? Because we, uh, we owe $1.1 billion now. Like, we're partners now. We're not adversaries. Cause they know I can't come up with 1.1 billion. Like it's just not real. So now, now you sell, you understand the difference. And this is what we're never taught, man. Get so big that you, by the natural laws of the universe, you basically acquire partners that are more powerful than you are. And that everybody's in it now for survival. And you're not on it. You know, you're not, you're not going solo. Small is solo, bro. This is when the COVID happened. I, the first piece of advice I gave everybody, do not go through a crisis alone. Get on a team right now. If you ever needed a mentor, get one right now. If you don't like the way the, the economy is going, do not try to do these emergencies uh, by yourself. Okay, get a strong partner that's been through them before that can guide you, mentor you, lead you, and make sure you're expanding through it. Otherwise, you're going to shrink and get smaller. Yeah, Grant, I think many see you oftentimes as almost like a contrarian. You know, it, it, there's there's what is commonly believed, and then oftentimes you say it almost in the complete opposite way. Like cash is king. Nope, cash flow is king. And it's about so many different concepts. It's almost as if like you dissect things that you see in the world, and then you look at it and say, well, that tr traditional model doesn't really work, right? So I, I'm just curious as to how you go about that process. 
Yeah. So you're, you know, you're very observant, by the way, you do, you do a great podcast. It, I, I know how hard it is to do these interviews, dude. You make it look so easy. Like it's amazing. Like I wish I could do what you do. Hardest thing for me to do in the world is to do an interview like this, to, to do, to do your part. Me answering questions is easy. It's when I start asking people questions. So I am a student of observation. When something doesn't work for me, I'm like, okay, well, maybe I did it wrong. Then I do it again. It goes wrong again. Then I'm like, okay, maybe something happened here. And I'm always going to be the responsible one. I did it wrong. I did it wrong. I did it wrong. And then, and I'm like, shoot, if I never get this right, something's wrong with the formula. Cause I ain't stupid. I can't always be the problem. I'm willing to be responsible, but maybe I got a wrong piece of data. Uh, saving money is one of them. Dude, saving money is stupid. It is ridiculous. The only thing that ever happens to people that save money is they end up losing it. It ends up getting lost. It ends up getting stolen. It ends up getting burnt or it ends up going down in value. But it's never going to get bigger. You save money at the bank. It ain't getting bigger, period. Who does that benefit? We've all been told, save your money, save your money, save your money. Who does that really benefit? I remember I read the, the Blackjack book, How to Play Blackjack, right? I knew that book. I knew every card to hit. And then I realized everybody at the table had read the same damn book. Everybody's staying on 16s. Then this Chinese dude comes in, and this freaking guy's banging 16s against nines, like, like, or 16s against sevens, sixes and fives and fours. Everything he shouldn't do, he's doing. He's splitting tens, and he's making all the money. He was the only one not playing by the book. And, and so I just think that there's – everybody should buy a house. Maybe not. Maybe not, okay, because the wealthy guys never talk about the house they bought. Warren Buffett owns one house. So I got a lot of those little things that I have just observed in my own life. They're just not true, man, period. Like, and anybody can fight me on it as much as they want. You're never going to get rich buying a house. Never. It's never going to happen. It's never happened on the planet. You're never going to get, you're never going to get successful on your own. You're not going alone. Jesus didn't go alone. Alexander the Great didn't go alone. Martin Luther King had a team. You're not going anyplace by yourself. So all this, I'm going to go smaller, smaller is better. Smaller ain't bigger. By the way, go big or go bigger, bigger. Don't go home. Don't go home. How many of us say that? Oh, go home. Now, what the fuck? Why you want to go home? Ain't nothing at home. There's nothing in your closet. What are you going to come out? <laughs> yeah, dude. So people need to observe. They need to study the people that are winning and watch what they do, not what they say. I want to move back to something you mentioned at the very start, and it's about keeping the fire burning because it seems like with everything you've been doing with fitness, I mean, 62 years old, you look in phenomenal shape. You've got the six pack, everything like that, everything with your health. Are you gearing up for something? I mean, I'll talk yeah, to Bill and he's like, like a three and a half pack. Like, maybe. <laughs> is there something that you are gearing up for I mean, presidential run, something big that you want to make sure that you, you are in prime shape for? I just want to be in good shape. I mean, I want, no comment. I, want to, I want to take care of my body. And so, so it doesn't hurt. You know, look, if you, if you don't pay attention to it, it's going to hurt. If you abandon anything in your life, whether it's your finances, your marriage, your house, your car or your body, it's going to abandon you. And so, um, am I getting, am I, am I renting that different question is, am I ramping up for something? Of course I am. Dude, I'm always going to do something new. 
And then we all give advice. I think nowadays there's no shortage of advice being out there given there's no shortage of things you can consume. But I'm curious from your standpoint, what's been the worst piece of advice you've ever received? Uh, worst piece of advice is, is um, stay in your lane. Stay in your lane. Dude, there's a fucking super highway out there, bro. Like I'm trying to get someplace. I use the ditch if I got to. I'll jump the curb if if it's good for us. So I ain't staying in my lane. You know, I've gotten so much bad advice, man. It's been unbelievable. I've gotten more bad advice than I've gotten good advice. And, I, and I'll just end with this. If you guys could just, if people could just get rid of, strip away all the bad advice they've been given in life, strip that away. You'll be left with the truth. And if you're not winning in life, it is because you are disconnected from the truth. If you're not winning in finances and, and you're in anywhere in your life, there is something that is false on the line. Otherwise, you'd be doing great. And Grant, as we come to a close, this being the Game Changing Attorney Podcast, you're certainly a game changer. But what does being a game changer mean to you? You know, I, I don't think about that a lot. I, I, I don't I, I'm not trying to change things for other people. I'm really trying to change the conditions for myself. And um, depends on where I've been in my life is like, you know, in the beginning it was, like, I just, I just need a little more money. And then it was like, Oh, okay. I, I, I need money to, to invest in a piece of real estate. And then I was, Oh, I don't have any money again. I got to go do some, get some money again. Like I'm just trying to change my game so that I'm still excited about waking up tomorrow and playing the game. I want to give a huge thank you to Grant Cardone for taking the time to speak with us today. You know, what particularly resonated for me was when Grant mentioned that you've got to get out there, observe, and watch the people who are winning, especially their actions, not just their words, and that money doesn't make money. Courage makes money. You've been listening to the Game Changing Attorney Podcast with me, Michael Mogul. If you enjoyed this episode, I'd really appreciate it if you could share the podcast with at least one other ambitious law firm owner who you believe would benefit. And you know what? Maybe more than one. For more information on our interview with Grant Cardone, see the show notes for this episode in your podcast app or visit GameChangingAttorney.com. And join us next time when we'll be talking to marketing expert and best-selling author Seth Godin about what it means to put your best work out into the world. Lawyers rarely define themselves as creative. But I got to tell you, with a CD-ROM filled with Word docs and GPT-3 and a few other tools, if all you know how to do is draft something that's been drafted before, we probably don't need to pay you. That's next time on the Game Changing Attorney Podcast. Oh,